You're listening to Inspired Edinburgh, a weekly interview show that brings you raw and powerful conversations with fascinating people from all walks of life. Our mission is to inspire and encourage you to reflect on your identity, beliefs, purpose and worldview. If you enjoy this, please subscribe for future episodes and feel free to contact us via any of our social media channels. Thank you in advance for taking the time to listen to the show and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh, the home of powerful conversations. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Sean Alexander. Sean is one of Scotland's leading vloggers, having built a prominent personal brand across multiple platforms. Your YouTube videos alone have had well in excess of 4 million views and your content has more than 100,000 monthly engagements. You vlog about travel, adventure, lifestyle, Scotland and television programme Outlander and you've recently launched your own community and clothing line named after your ethos Adventure Everything. You're also a social media marketer, copywriter, content creator and strategist working with brands to create content and develop a content strategy across channels including Instagram, Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. Sean, it's absolutely brilliant to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. It's um, a pleasure to be here. What a great setting. Looking Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I've, you know, dipped in and out of your vlogs for a long time. And awesome. uh, yeah, some great stuff. Really, cool. really enjoy Thanks it. Thanks very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. So, I mean, if we can start, I suppose, with your, your kind of early life, where you grew up and, and generally just what your, your uh, life was like then. Yeah, so um, my background, I'm an Edinburgh boy, born and bred, probably yeah. like yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was um, born in the, the west end of Edinburgh, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lived in Stenhouse, which is a, a community um, close to Tynecastle, Hart Stadium, which was my, my boyhood uh, football team when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, it was a great neighbourhood. It was kind of rough and ready. Okay. Um, very close to like the Muir House and all that kind of areas. And it was, it was a great place to live, but um, it had its troubles as well. Mm-hmm. So I spent... The good part of my early years there, for probably the first 12 years of my life, actually, and okay. the kind of friendships that I made there were a good um, starting place, I think, for life in Edinburgh, and it was just a, a great place to grow up. And yeah, that was my early days, I guess, if we want to go right to the very beginning. I was born in Scotland, but my dad's actually from South Africa, and really? um, I spent the first two years, I, I was born here, stayed for six months, went to South, Afri- South Africa for um, two years. And then we decided to come back again as a family. So, oh. um, yeah, a bit of a traveling beginning in life, even though I didn't don't re- <laughs> necessarily remember it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it obviously stuck with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the fact that I was there um, is in my mind, but I don't really re- have any memory of it. Got you. Yeah. So. so, I mean, how would you describe yourself as a person, you know, when you were kind of growing up? Um, I was shy yet confident, I would say. Interesting. Um, I guess when I was meeting people for the first time, I was often quite shy. I think I'm probably more of a um, reserved person when I was young. I was a reserved child, like I would just kind of keep to my own and observe before I kind of put myself out there, if you like. Um, but I was ambitious as well. I was an ambitious young lad. I wanted to play for hearts. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be a football player. Um, that was my ambition when I was younger, but I was never talented in that department, if you like. <laughs> right, okay. Um, not for the want to try and know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I used to follow the, the Hearts team around. They used to train in Sockton, at Sockton Park. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was that age. I don't know where they train nowadays, but 
that's where they were and I used to follow them around for the players seeing if I could get any friends and um, get my way into the team somehow that was my dream <laughs> I was like eight year old running around after the Hutch players but um, that was yeah brilliant. that was Mark Brennan um, Stenhouse Sockton it was a great place uh, I really had some great memories and friendships from there um, yeah. people that I know until now but so so what did you do when you left school and I mean what were your sort of career aspirations at that stage it was interesting because I was a terrible student like (laughs) I'm one of the world's worst students I absolutely hated school with a passion with a vengeance um as soon as high school was over I wanted to get out like I just wanted to leave and do my own thing Mm -hmm. um I really disliked studying I disliked the school systems as well um I think they were really just not very inspiring places um you know I knew that I was a storyteller, even at that age. Seriously? One thing, yeah, one thing I liked to do was actually write. I was a good writer. Um, I was a shocking handwriter. My handwriting, nobody could read it. Hmm. But I was a good writer. I could tell stories. Like creative writing. Creative, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was the one area I knew I was good at, but I was never, it was never necessarily brought out in me. Um, so that was a kind of burning passion I had in my, in my background, and I always wanted to do something with that. But I was 16, and I was out of school, and I was, my mum and dad were like, what now? What are you going to do? Are you going to go to university or... I didn't have the grades for university, to be quite frank. <laughs> so it wasn't an option. So I just decided, decided to go for it. Um, I need to get a job, right? I think my first few jobs were in supermarkets. I just hustled as hard as I could doing different things. And then I don't know how this happened, but I was taken on by an accountancy firm in Edinburgh as a trainee auditor. And I was 17-year-old. Really? <laughs> uh, and wow. it was, they, they said at the time it was an experiment. They wanted to see if they could... Rather than take a university graduate, they wanted to take someone who was 17 and see if they could train them over the four-year period that somebody would usually spend at university. And I was getting paid and see what would happen. Um, so that, that was my first real job, if you like, and I always, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the experiences. Like It was quite clear to me early on within the first year or two that I never, ever wanted to be an accountant. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. It was just not me at all, but... Yeah. At the end of the day, my, my family were quite proud. They're like, how the, how, how the hell did you get a job in an accountancy firm as a trainee auditor? You're like 17-year-old. Yeah. Um, and I, to be honest, I don't know to this day. Like, the only thing I could say is I've always been a good interviewer, um, even at that age. So I probably blagged my way in a little bit. Okay. Um, so that, that was my first job. Um, but as I said to you before, I, was a, I knew I was a good writer and I knew I wanted to do something. I knew I wanted to tell stories. Mm-hmm. So while I was working at the accountancy firm, I did everything I could to try and um, start a career in journalism. Okay. That's where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew that would allow me to write, be creative, tell stories. Mm-hmm. So I would often um, contact publications, um, whether it was niche interest publications or newspapers, and, and try and basically write for them, like just on the side. And uh, okay. That's how I got my first bit of writing experience for newspapers and magazines at the time. My first experience of media, if you like. And yeah. I was still at the accountancy firm, but um, yeah, that's where I wanted to take my career. That was my first kind of real f- passion yeah. when I was a teenager. I, I know that you uh, I, it probably eventually went on to study journalism. Is that right? Yeah. So when I decided I wanted to do it um, and I'd quit the, the accountancy malarkey because that was just a waste of time. <laughs> um, great experience. Yeah, great yeah. learning experience for a young lad, like just knowing what business is about and, and knowing how to deal with um, managers and clients and all that kind of stuff. That was such a great experience, but the accountancy side wasn't me. So hmm. um, when I decided I wanted to take up the, the profession of journalism full time, 
I basically wrote to a number of publications and said, listen, I'll work for you guys for free. I want to work for you guys for free and I'm studying. So as long as I can have my study time, I'll do whatever you want for free. Um, and that's what I did. I don't remember what age I was. I was probably still a teenager, to be honest. Wow. So I spent a year doing H&C in journalism and working for various newspapers for free and got lots of experience. Oh, that's amazing. So Yeah, that was my way in, if you like. Yeah. And so how did your career unfold with it being kind of journalism specific? So it, was, um, it started off really good. I mean, when I was studying, I was working for like really big publications, like mm-hmm. national newspapers. Wow. Um, as a writer and like I loved it and it was it was great experience um, and I got, I got my byline in a lot of big papers and stuff and it was great but just as I finished my studies I think it was probably um, around the time when the financial crisis of 2008 was yeah. really um, going quite strong so I struggled to get a, a permanent position a paid position for a long time um, and that's when I decided to do a bit of travelling and working whatever jobs I could mm-hmm. um, so I did take a bit of a relapse then in my career aspirations thinking it's never going to happen I'm never actually going to get paid for this um, and wondering what to do but I guess it was probably a year after I'd finished studying journalism I thought to myself like there has to be a way I know things are still bad in the UK and things were really bad but they were actually worse here in Scotland than they were elsewhere mm. um, and that is when I decided to uh, move to London um, well, actually, I got the job first in London and then moved. Right. Um, but I decided to, to look for jobs. Um, there were, I mean, a lot of things happened in between that time, uh, including getting married. I got married quite young. Wow, really? Um, okay. Uh, lived for six months in Brazil. And that was all in between that period of not knowing what to do and not having any full-time job in Edinburgh. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I ended up in, after that, got married and we ended up in London. Um, I got my first real job in journalism in London for okay. uh, an investment publication a magazine that deals specifically with investments mm-hmm. and again like this is another period in my life when my family were like what like how, i don't know how you didn't study anything you ended up a yeah. trained accountant and now you're working for an investment publication as an investment journalist surely you need to have some knowledge of investments yeah um which i didn't and it was basically a, i use a bit of the scottish brass neck and um scottish charm and as i say i'm a very good interviewer i think yeah. um <laughs> And I decided, I took it upon myself to say, listen, I've got this job now as an investment journalist. I need to learn it. So I was working and I was learning, like studying, like day and night to kind of know the material I was writing. Yeah. Um, and I had, a, I had a very good team around me as well where I was working who took me under their wing. Um, so I just kind of ended up in investment publications. I don't oh, know how that happened. Yeah. Really? Did, did you enjoy it? I did. I enjoyed the... I mean, any journalism is storytelling, whether you're like in a newspaper, whether you're in some kind of niche market or whether it's financial services. I mean, obviously it is drier than other types of storytelling, much drier. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of interesting stories. Like there was the bread and butter stuff that we used to do every week, which was boring. Hmm. But then we would go off and interview people, um, you know, chief execs of companies or investment managers, people who had amazing stories to tell. Mm -hmm. And whether they were talking about investments or whatever, it was still it was still great to get out there and get the experience of talking talking to these types of people. Yeah. Uh, And also found as a journalist, a young journalist, like I was getting so much amazing access to all these like high flyers around the world. Yeah. And they were inviting me to their dinners and stuff. And I was like it was just it was just bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. I think as a journalist they you're often taking um 
you're often invited to a lot of different places to to meet people and and that's that was great like it wasn't a well-paid job or anything but it was a great experience for me to kind of get to know a lot of people yeah and start in the world of journalism yeah as a writer and so do you still have a hand in that are you still involved in journalism so kind of i mean i still retain a lot of relationships i mean i should say i suck at the journalism um for two or three years and then decided i wanted to be a journalist in-house in the investment companies because Mm -hmm. the same they had just realized that they actually needed writers in-house to to do their own content marketing of course yeah yeah. exactly that time that's when the whole blogging thing was Hmm. big Mm -hmm. and suddenly all the investment companies were like well we should hire the journalists to do this for us in-house and like there's no secret they pay like two or three times what a journalism salary is so yes I ended up going in-house working for investment banks as a marketer. Hmm. Uh, started off as a writer and that that side of it, I've definitely still got a hand in, in the corporate side. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have a hand in the journalism side um, okay. in terms of mainstream publications or anything like that. Yeah. But definitely in the corporate sense, the, the companies that I used to work for and a lot of the contacts that I had then, a lot of people I worked for, worked with, who have now switched around different companies. I mean, I still keeping close contact with those guys so uh-huh. it was a great world to work in um met lots of in- interesting people and i ended up becoming a marketer <laughs> yeah again i'm just something i fell into <laughs> yeah. and you become very good at that <laughs> um yeah i guess the the marketing side was great because it stood me in good stead for what i do now in my own personal brand really yeah um because when you're working in an investment bank like their brands are everything for them and they were going through a period of they had just come out of the financial crisis the trust in that industry was at an all-time low mm-hmm. and they were like we need to change this we need to do something with our brand to make make that perception better so yeah. i was at the grassroots of like a big movement among financial services companies to mm. get their brand better through through content through mostly through writing at that time mm-hmm. um, blogs and and they went onto social media so then i'm involved in the social media of um, investment banks which yeah. was another great thing for me yeah um yeah it's just I don't know, my career's just been one mistake after the next um, in terms of landing into things that I've never studied or yeah. <laughs> deserve the right to be involved in, really. Uh, well, I mean, I think what fascinates me the most, and I'm really interested to hear how it all came about, is, you know, vlogging. Mm-hmm. I mean, when did you first realise that vlogging was a thing? And, and what was it that really interested you, you know, in terms of getting involved in it? Yeah. Well, I guess... It was probably at the end, towards the end of my in-house career um, in financial services, the last six months. Um, as I say, my wife's Brazilian and we do spend a bit of time over there. Mm-hmm. And I decided to take, I'd been working in um, investment marketing for about five years and I decided to take a bit of a break from that. Uh, we went over to Brazil and um, stayed there for a year. Um, and it was probably around that time that I started getting involved in watching other vloggers and what they do. Uh, and just noticing the trends, even from being an internal marketer, like noticing the trends going towards video. Okay. It was still in its infancy. It wasn't, I'd say it's an infancy, but it was still at a stage where it was, a lot of people were getting interested in it and starting it, but it was really, there were a few hardcore people who had been vlogging for a few years, but it wasn't to the saturated level it is now. Yeah. But we did know, even internally and the likes of the banks and stuff, we did know there was a movement towards video big time. Uh, and I knew that like platforms like YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and all that, like just they're just so open and so many mm. opportunities for people just to tell stories. And that's what I wanted to do in my life from the beginning. Uh, and I decided 
when I went to Brazil for the year, um, I wanted to share with my family and friends back in Scotland what my life was, really. Hmm. I didn't necessarily think, right, I'm going to be a vlogger like the other guys that I watch. Like, at the time, I was a massive, massive fan of, like, Casey Neistat. He was my yeah. inspiration to actually start okay. doing videos. Um, and I guess the first year of it wasn't, I never really did any vlogs. There were just kind of videos here and there about my life in Brazil. Taking inspiration from people like Casey and others who were doing, doing videos at the time, they hadn't actually started vlogging either. Oh, uh, Casey Jesus. himself, he, he hadn't started vlogging back then. Yeah. Um, so that first year when I was in Brazil was my first kind of uh, involvement in YouTube, putting videos on online. And yeah, first year, it was basically my life in, in Brazil. What am I doing there? And like all the different the cultural things that are over there. Showing my friends and family. And then a couple of people started to watch. Hmm. Uh, and then I was like, yeah, this is, this is cool. I like this. Um, there's a lot of, there's a great community of people who watch. And uh, it's help, it helps me out a lot, um, even mentally, to, to be involved with that type of community. Yeah. So I just took it from there. <laughs> So how do you, I mean, I, I know firsthand what it's like to create content. I mean, firstly, with this, I also did some vlogging um, for a brief spell. How do you come up with ideas for content to create? So I think it's evolved for me over the, over the years. Um, when I started the first year, it was really just trial and error of different things. I never really had any plans or um, or strategies. It was just like trying different bits and pieces and see see how I like doing them. But I guess there was no cohesion. Nowadays, it's probably I'm a little bit more professional, I think. Not, not much, but um, yeah. I guess I do like to pay attention to um, what trends are going on. Like I watch a lot of vloggers out there, a lot of people who mm -hmm. who make videos and, and just see what what's doing well. And um, then I kind of formulate my own ideas as well also sticking um, tightly to things that I believe in, um, things that are important to me as well. Mm -hmm. And when you put that all together, like what's happening in the world of social media and, and video and then what's happening in your own life, uh, that's when you kind of come up with a few sparks of ideas, storytelling. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to do, always, ever since I was young, I wanted to do kind of travel documentaries on TV. Oh, <laughs> it sounds silly. But I thought maybe I could just, make my vlogs in that kind of same tone, right? Mm -hmm. So that is pretty much how my ideas come about, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really uh, interested to hear about, I suppose, the, the creation process. So, I mean, you know, in terms of do you um, kind of batch your content? Do you have it going out in a certain schedule? How long does it take you to do a vlog? That sort of stuff. Mm. So I think for me... Since I started vlogging, like a lifestyle mm -hmm. vlog, I tend to get the videos up as quickly as possible. I don't like to sit on them that long. Okay. Uh, usually it'll be the next day. So if I film one day, it'll appear online the next. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't always work out like that. Um, for various life things that might go on, it'll yeah. stop that. But that is what I always plan to do. Um, I will say, like, as I say, Casey and I said, it was definitely my... 100% my biggest inspiration when I, when, I, when I think about why I started this and what I wanted to take it forward. Actually, when he started doing a daily vlog, which was the early part of 2014, mm -hmm. I decided a couple of weeks after that 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 is definitely where this should be. Okay. That is where the industry should be. That is where um, a lot of people are going to get attention and I should be doing it as well. Um, so it's probably about two weeks after he started doing a daily vlog. I think it was early 2014. I, mean, I, I think it was early 2014. I could be corrected on that. 
Uh, I yeah, I think that sounds about right. Probably around yeah, March so. time. It was literally yeah. weeks later I decided I'm going to start doing daily vlogs as well. <laughs> I've never managed to be as prolific as all the other daily vloggers out there who do it every single day of their life. Um, but that has always been my end goal with vlogging. Really? I've always wanted to build up to that. Okay. I kind of get in rhythms like I'll build myself up and then I'm suddenly doing four a week and then five a week and then six a week. And then something happens and it kind of comes back down again. Um, for example, last couple of weeks, just because of various different um, things that have been going on, like I've not, mm-hmm. I've not done as many videos as I would have liked, um, but I would like to be, I'm now at a stage where I want to be professional. I think I've got the experience of, of vlogging and what I need to do with it to actually say I could do it daily now. Um, and I'm, you know, I want to take that step. We'll see. This isn't meant at all as a criticism, but people that don't know what it takes to do that, they simply don't know. Yeah. But I mean, how much time does it take you and, and to actually edit your vlogs, to upload the vlogs, and how do you fit that into your day? So it, is, it can be really tough. I mean, I think for the first two years of doing this, it was really, really tough because I also had other jobs on. Um, mm whether it was the investment stuff that I was doing, journalism and whatever. Um, I had lots of freelance stuff going on. Nowadays, I've kind of focused my time um, specifically on what I'm doing on social media for the last year. Mm. It's been exactly a year, actually, um, that I've been pretty much full-time on social media. And it's certainly a lot easier now because I can focus on more time and attention on social media and making videos. There's a lot of, there's a lot of other stuff around it. I, I would say filming the vlog, filming a vlog is really... Um, probably the easiest part of the process. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're, especially if you're just filming like a life vlog or a lifestyle vlog, it's the easiest part because you're just basically recording, documenting what you do in a day or a couple of days or whatever it happens to be. Um, I think the magic probably happens in the edit process, mm. which takes a bit longer. Um, but it really varies depending on the vlog. Like, I can spend anything from one hour. I've done it in an hour before. Uh, if it's a short and snappy one, but it's usually more two or three hours. Mm-hmm. So yeah, two or three hours a night is probably just the edits. But there's so much more involved in, in social media. And I think a lot of people um, who want to start YouTube, they don't understand, they don't appreciate the fact that uh, YouTube at its heart is a community and it's a social media platform like Facebook, like Twitter, like Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and to get any of these um, social media platforms to do well for you as a as a a personal brand or as a or even as a corporate brand you need to put the time in behind the scenes as well it's not just the mm-hmm. posting the content it's all the other stuff as well like building the community yeah. is absolutely the the biggest part of it so mm. yeah to do it to do a daily vlog and um i think it's definitely a full, it can be a full-time job definitely um once you want to take it seriously i mean it, it's impossible for everybody to start that way like as i say i started for the first two years um doing lots of other things at the same time um, and it definitely takes a while to build up to that. But yeah, once you're doing it like four or five videos a week, it's, it's a full-time thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, this is the question that people always ask. People, I kind of dread hearing it, but in terms of like the monetization element, I know that you've got a Patreon account. Yep. For people that don't know what that is, that's basically, I suppose, like crowdfunding yeah. um, and a way that people can support the work that you do. I mean, longer term, is that the route that you would like to go down with it? Um, I think probably not. Um, this is this is something that takes a while to work out and to understand <laughs> how it's going to play out. I don't have the answers either. Yeah. Um, YouTube as a as a vlogger, you get um, monetization from from the YouTube platform itself. It's not a lot, but um, 
if you had a lot of views, then you would be getting significant amount of income from that. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, like for most of us, then you have to look at other ways. And a lot of people are sending me messages. Like I've got such an amazing community of people who follow. Like I really adore them and they, they're really supportive. And lots of people are sending me messages like, um, how, can we, how can we help fund your channel? How can we help fund growth? Hmm. Can we just send you some money on PayPal? I had lots of people sending <laughs> those types of messages, yeah. Oh. And then other creators in the community were, um, we get together quite a lot and we talk, like kind of pub chat about YouTube and stuff. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them were actually using Patreon uh, and finding that it was a, a great way for people who wanted to help the channel, uh, their favorite channels to grow and to, to donate. So yeah, I think after I heard from a really good friends who were doing it, people I trust, Mm -hmm. I was very skeptical in the beginning about doing it. I thought it was like, I don't know, I just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Um, But as soon as I heard from friends who I trusted and who were really good people, that they were doing it and having a lot of support from their community. Mm -hmm. Then I thought, well, if people are um, happy to do it, um, I might as well, let's see what happens. And yeah, the community on Patreon has been amazing and it definitely helps. It helps. Like a lot of the vlogs that we do, um, there's a lot of uh, cost behind it as well that a lot of people don't necessarily um, understand. Mm-hmm. Um, even the equipment itself, Absolutely. you spend a lot of money on that. You spend mm-hmm. money on traveling to and from locations. Mm-hmm. Like I do a lot of location suits like around Scotland. And sometimes that will involve a, a night away, for example. Yeah. Um, so Patreon for me right now basically covers my costs. Um, and that is amazing. Like to know that I've got a mm. community of people who have my back on that yeah it's incredible and people are uh, happy to do it so yeah i don't think that is i mean there's not many like big creators are using that as like a full-time income and i don't think that is what patreon is necessarily for yeah and i could be wrong there could be people who are doing it as an income but for me i don't see it as as an income stream i see it as um, a way to kind of help fund channel growth and sustainability yeah yeah that's probably a better way to look um, at it. yeah where i think yeah, monetization can be really great on YouTube if you have a lot of views. Yeah, yeah. So that is basically the main source of a lot of YouTubers' income. Absolutely. Um, Patreon is just really a way to, uh, as an extra support, and yeah. it's, it's a great platform to have for creators, and it's helped me a lot. Why do you think young people want to become vloggers today? It's a really interesting question, and I've heard this a lot. Like, I think it's there's a ridiculous stat I've heard. It's like two-thirds of school children nowadays want to be vloggers. Uh, as a full-time, that's like a career aspiration, not just like for fun. Um, (laughs) YouTube and other platforms like that have given a lot of empowerment to people to be creative, to to have full-time incomes doing what they want to do, to travel the world, to meet incredible people, to like, it's just, the the list is endless. Hmm. And I think when you see that, you think like, maybe I could have that as well. Um, I guess the important thing to to realise and to, to make clear about that is like, YouTube, I think, for most people, should be started off as a something you do for fun, first of all, and not as a, uh, a business or a career aspiration. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great to think like one day that will happen. That is always a goal. Um, I totally agree with that. But I think in initial days, like it's 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 good to do it as a something you have on the side, something you do. You might put all your passion and energy into it in your in your spare time, but it's not something to. It would be very difficult to jump right into it as a full-time mm-hmm. um, career. But at, at the same time, this is always a paradox, right? <laughs> at the same time, as I, as I advise caution about people just to jump in uh, thinking they're going to make loads of money from it, mm-hmm. I think parents need to fully support and encourage kids who want to do digital media, mm-hmm. whether that is YouTube or whether it is Twitch gaming, for example. Um, 
So there, there's definitely a balance there. There's a balance between encouraging people, young people especially, to like live their dreams and do what they want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And also to realise that it's not going to happen right away. Yeah. It, it's going to take two or three years before you're going to see any kind of return from that. So, yeah. I think that's yeah. really good advice. My next question was going to be what advice, I suppose, what one piece of advice would you give to someone looking to start vlogging? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's all, I mean, there's quite a lot of um, things I would say on that. Mm -hmm. I think one thing is if you're going to vlog is just to be, be yourself, right? A lot of people say that it's quite cliche, but it's so important because um, when you build a community of people who follow you, they, they, they follow because of you, not necessarily because of the, um, the videos you're doing. I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes it works the other way around as well. There's two sides of it, but ultimately people hit the subscribe button because they like you. Hmm. They might come onto it because I don't know you're giving great tips on cameras or mm-hmm. or great tips about a certain destination in a travel video. But yeah. ultimately they'll hit the subscribe button because they like the person. So I think audiences really see through people who are not being themselves. So mm-hmm. that is, I think that's really crucial for anybody who wants to start out is just be yourself um, and have fun with it. Hmm. Absolutely, just have fun with it. What's the closest you've ever come to quitting? Oh, that is a that's a great question. Probably in the first year, several times, um, I would have said like this is not working because, as I said, YouTube is a slow. Any digital media, whether if you want to take it as a kind of full time career, eventually it's a slow, hard slog for years before you can um, ever think that it's going to be a success. And the first year is definitely the most tough, like the first thousand subscribers, I would say. Mm. Um, there's lots of times throughout that process where I think this ain't going to work. It's mm. just going to, and even even today, like there's times I think, is it ever going to be to the high stages where a lot of other people around the world are at? Um, where would you like it to be? Well, I think I would love to be at the stage where I am financially stable for it, yeah. um, to do it, um, and also being able to travel around the world and meet the people who support me because a lot of the, the people who watch my vlogs are um, they're not necessarily from here in Scotland they're from all around the world North America uh, United States Canada Australia and I would love to like just have the financial security to say like I'm just going to go to these places and meet the people who support me and do events and stuff like that and yeah continue living in, living my dream basically because hmm. um, yeah it's, it's tough um, mm-hmm. it's something that I do as a passion the, the sensible logic in my head says this is not right, even now. Really? It's a, like, I should be in a job somewhere in London <laughs> um, where I know I'd be getting a good salary. I'd be like stable. I'd have like be paying a rent or a mortgage or whatever. Yeah. This is not the easy route that I've taken, like not by any means. And it still might not, at the end of the day, it's still not, uh, it still might not turn out to be successful. Um, but it's always in the back of my head that if I don't try it, if I don't yeah. go for it, then it definitely won't be. So I'm kind of putting myself through a period of, um, uh, how can I put this? Putting putting myself through a period of hard work with little in terms of financial reward um, over the last year and future years to come maybe. Uh Um, And it's tough. Lots lots of people might not be able to stomach that Mm -hmm. or... Mm. Or have the circumstances where they could do that. Of course, yeah, um, yeah. Because there's lots of reasons that people, like they might have a family to support and uh, they might, it's difficult to, they might have mortgages. Once you're tied into a mortgage, how can yeah. you 
quit everything and do that. I mean, I've been fortunate. Uh, me and my wife have made the decisions we have and we're not necessarily tied down to anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. yeah, I guess that, that is definitely a big side of it. Yeah. I couldn't do what I'm doing now if I had kids, I don't think. Hmm. I, would, I would have to have had a job by now. Um, yeah. I would have to have went back to my jobs, but back to my careers that I quit basically a few years ago. Um, but it comes down to happiness, I think, because okay. I was working in London, working for some really massive um, investment banks and making really good salaries, like money mm-hmm. that I could never have imagined ever making. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't happy. Like I had a great lifestyle in London, had a decent place to live and mm-hmm. I never worried about bills or anything like that. Um, but I wasn't happy. Like, hmm. And I found like anxiety creeping in. Like I've always had anxiety throughout my life, but it was probably at my deepest and darkest stages when I was in London working in something that ultimately did not make me happy. So mm-hmm. I'm doing something now that makes me happy. Uh, I love building the community around the world. I love traveling. I love meeting people. And I love making videos. Hmm. And I'm doing something now which isn't necessarily financially rewarding, but at the same time, I love it. So this is my passion. Yeah. And like, can you put a price on that? You know? Nah. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Great Ranting stuff. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I think what you're doing is absolutely phenomenal. And you're right. I think a lot of people would take what I suppose is the, kind of the easier the easier path. Um, but if you're doing it because it's... If you can reconcile it with yourself and know that... Be clear on why you're doing yeah. it. Um, and I think it's the easier path. And also it's the expected path. Yeah. A lot of people have pressures to do that like, mm-hmm. because they, they, they studied for a degree. Their family are saying they have to stick with that career or whatever. Definitely. Their, their partners might say that that's the right route for them. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so it's not easy, you know. Yeah. Uh, as well as actually being comfortable, it's actually the expected thing. Societies expect people that they'll they'll fulfill that lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely putting myself through a period of um, uh, kind of punishment in some ways yeah. <laughs> but it's also it is it's cleansing because i love it yeah it makes me feel good and um yeah i've never been happier so like i don't that's know that's awesome i can relate to a lot of what you're saying sean i have to be honest <laughs> i uh i can i can empathize fully adventure everything this is now becoming uh, yeah. bigger and bigger how did that first come about well, I think it was always um, in the back of my mind, like, why am I doing these vlogs? Um, and I, the first couple of years when I was doing this, as I say, not many people watched. And I used to think to myself, like, why, what, is my, what is my purpose? Mm-hmm. And then when I started to think about the jobs I was doing in London, like, as I said, the full-time job that I didn't enjoy doing in London, the career path I'd chosen. Uh-huh. Um, and I decided that I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make my own rules in life hmm. and take control take back control of circumstances and health, my own health. And I felt that adventure, everything was the, the kind of summary of that. That is how I, I saw the life that I wanted to live and aspired to live. And I, I thought if I could write that down on paper in two words and have it as a slogan, I would also, it would almost be like a kind of um, monkey on my shoulder. Um, that yeah, is yeah. a lifestyle that I should be fulfilling and I want to fulfill. And the only thing stopping me from fulfilling it is myself and actually going for it. So now that I have the brand, it's like I've got no excuses. I have to go for it. I have to live my own brand yeah. every day. And it reminds me to do that. Hmm. Now that I, now it's kind of like a, a living and breathing thing. It's like yeah. it makes me um, determined to actually live it. Um, and hmm. that's what this is about for me, actually going for it, living it. 
experiencing it, as difficult as it might be, mm-hmm. um, I'm going for it. I'm being true to true to the brand, if you like. Yeah. So yeah. really bring it bringing it to life, bringing adventure, everything to life was a way for me to, to kind of say, I've made a, a choice that a lot of people would find difficult to take. And I appreciate that. Um, but it makes me happy. And I think ultimately it will be good for me. Mm-hmm. I even got a tattoo in my arm uh, of my logo, like just so it was permanently Seriously? there. Yeah. Oh my so God. I got my brand Adventure Everything tattooed on my arm. Um, just as I like, a, that is never going to leave me. If I fail wow. at this, if I don't do it, it's always going to be there as a reminder. So I might as well just make the most of it. Um, and it's, it's, it's really kind of an aspirational thing. And I think there's a lot of people in the world, actually, who could live um, more... They could live more of a lifestyle that follows the path that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. As It's not practical for everybody, and it's not easy for everybody to just do that. But I mm-hmm. think there's a lot more people, actually, who could take the risk and could do it. So I wanted to inspire other people to follow the life that I've done. Mm. Not going to university, because I didn't do that. Like, that's the expected route. <laughs> Yeah, still manage to get jobs it's not necessarily a barrier um, and just follow their own path you know whatever that might be mm-hmm. if that is a dream job that they've always wanted but they go for it even though it might have been difficult then that's great that's that's adventure everything for me as well yeah um, so that is what adventure everything is about it's it's, it's an aspirational um, lifestyle choice and how I yeah. and how I hope to live my life basically I love that that's so cool so, I mean, what's the the vision for Adventure Everything? You've obviously now got Adventure Everything dot club, yeah, um, and you've you've got you know clothing items. Yeah, um, where do you see it going? Um, that's a great question. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> it's really, as I say, a lot of the community and a lot of people who watch my content, they they kind of they love that. They really um, believe in the the brand as well. The the idea of Adventure Everything that I've been talking about. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's really, it's about protecting and, and, and helping that community to, to live a more adventurous or a lifestyle that's going to make them happy. That's what it's ultimately about. And that's why I chose a dot .club uh, mm-hmm. domain name as well, because mm-hmm. I wanted it to, to be a club. I wanted to, I wanted to give people my personal email address where I could help them and with any tips, you know, big or small. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got clothes as well that I sell, but it's, yeah. that's not, I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know where it goes, but I know it's about the community first. Okay. That's the one thing I do know. Yeah. Um, and helping people to realize their dreams and and, and live that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So whether that whether that is a, a clothing brand in future, I don't know. I mean, of course mm. I have, as I say, got some items for sale, but... Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite social media platform and why? This is controversial, right? <laughs> this is going to be really controversial. Okay. I love YouTube for what it's done for me. Yeah. It's changed my life. YouTube is amazing. But my first love on social media is Twitter. That is controversial. It's very controversial. That's very controversial. And the thing is, I think in terms of a platform, if any business wants to invest in a social media platform to take their content forward, to take their brand forward, Twitter would be the bottom of the list right now. Yeah. <laughs> Even someone who's building their own personal brand, it would still be bottom of the list. But... Despite that, I still love it. Uh, and it's just because of the engagements with people I've had over the years. And it was the first social media platform that I got into. Oh, okay. Um, my first social media love, if you like, in terms of platforms. Yeah. <laughs> and I've just had so many amazing, deep connections with people on Twitter. Uh, it saw me through some dark times as well. Like I would, 
uh, if I ever had problems and anxiety in my life or whatever it happened to be, mm-hmm. the community on Twitter was always there for me and always really supportive. And I've, they've been with me from the beginning, basically. So although in terms of a social media marketing investment pl- platform, it's not the place to spend your ad dollars yeah. at all, for me, it's the one I love most and the one I've always had a deep connection with and, and love the community there. So it's difficult. YouTube has always given me the biggest opportunities. Mm-hmm. Twitter has always been there from the beginning and yeah, hopefully it continues to thrive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you were going to start your personal brand all over again from today and start a community, what would you do? I think I would do pretty much the same as I have done, although I'd be better knowledge in terms of a few tricks um, that goes on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of um, the type of content you create, because there are there are things you can do um, in terms of what trends are happening. You can yeah. you can make, you can tailor content that that does follow trends, and that is a way to bring audiences in. Mm-hmm. And I think the sooner you realize that when you're trying to build a personal brand, the sooner you can try and build an audience quicker. Mm-hmm. There's lots of examples of people who have done it, whether they are people who decide they want to have a, a vlog about technology or about cameras. There are certain types of content you could do within those niches that people are just going to find um, through YouTube algorithms, through things like that. Yeah. Um, and the quicker you can get to doing those types of videos, mm-hmm. um, you're going to build up an audience a bit quicker. So I've done it the hard and long way. Yeah. I didn't start off doing <laughs> videos like that at all. I just did videos that I wanted to do and enjoyed doing, which is very important as well. But mm-hmm. to know some of the tricks about... Um, videos that are going to get bigger views on platforms is I think important as well to match the both yeah. if you're if you're serious about building a brand what do you think are going to be the main future trends of social media that is so difficult because it changes all the time and, yeah. and it's been really quick I mean I think there is a lot of talk over the last six months about people being disappointed in this platform and disappointed in that platform because of algorithm changes, because of monetization changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, people saying, oh, we're all leaving this one. But ultimately, I think the, the big ones that are around at the moment are, are going to be here for quite a while to come, especially if they continue to innovate the way they have been. Mm-hmm. I think um, if we look at the Facebook group of companies, Facebook, Instagram, they're going to be important for, for years to come. I think YouTube will continue to be the main dominant player in, in video. Um, only if it continues to to follow the community and the needs of the community mm-hmm. and to adapt to the community, um, which it has done, um, sometimes slowly, hmm. but it continues to to follow the, the the trends and it continues to I believe to be on the creator side. So I think YouTube is still going to be a dominant player in, in video for a long time to come. But um, there's also other services coming like Amazon. I think Amazon's got so much money to spend on social media yeah. through Twitch. I think that could be important in future. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just recently opened a Twitch account as well I think it's important okay. for anybody who's got a personal brand to at least taste and give everything a shot um, mm-hmm. and be spread quite widely across the platforms um, mm-hmm. I, I make sure my brand is on on everything and I, and I maintain yeah. each one with a heavy presence I mm. think it's it's never a good idea just to dip in really lightly into one because it's never really going to work so mm-hmm. I go in as hard as I can on, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Um, and if there's any other dominant player that comes up, I think it would be important to go all in as well. Yeah. Um, I definitely think people should keep an eye on what Amazon's doing. Hmm. 
Interesting. But dark, I still think, horse. yeah, definitely. But I still, I still believe YouTube will be a dominant video platform for a long time to come. Facebook will be a dominant social media general platform yeah. for a long time to come. Uh-huh. Um, but it is interesting. You just never know. Yeah. Because big companies have failed in the past. So, yeah. Why do you think so many people are interested in watching people do Scottish accents? That is an interesting question. I had no idea about this when I started. <laughs> really? I had no idea that people <laughs> like the Scottish accent. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I when I started doing videos, people, a lot of people just commented saying like, "I love your accent." I was like, "I've never heard that before," because there's a Scottish <laughs> person here in Scotland. You don't really hear that often, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just became such a big force on my channel, like thousands of people come on saying they love the Scottish accent and then we've had all the popularity of TV shows and, um, and stuff that's been about Scottish culture yeah. have done really well and most of the audience is not British most of the audience is um, from the rest of the world mm-hmm. I think the thing is that we don't realise in Scotland which is really important is there are such a big community of people around the world who, ident- who identify themselves as being from Scottish ancestry and it's almost mm-hmm. as if Scottish people have either forgotten that or they resist it hmm. and kind of almost ignore that the rest of the world who are from Scottish ancestry exist. Um, and I think through my content, I've managed to make a connection with a lot of those people. Yeah. And those people who have Scottish ancestry, they're hungry for um, information about Scotland, for that connection. Hmm. Um, a lot of them can literally trace their, their generations back, five, six, seven generations back to a place in Scotland. Jeez. And they all have Scottish names. Yeah. And they're very proud of it. You know, they might live in the United States, but they have mm-hmm. their clan tartans. And mm. I think it's great that people around the world celebrate our culture. And whether yeah. that is through something simple like accents or whatever. But yeah, uh, yeah I feel quite proud of that. Hmm. What are your views on Scotland as a nation? Scotland as a nation, that is a, that is a, uh, a hot potato, right? <laughs> it has been over the last few years. Yeah. I mean, how can I say this? I, I truly believe Scotland has a lot of talent um, and could definitely support itself on its own if it needed to. I think we have, we have made so many great things, inventions over the years. Yeah. We've got a lot of intelligent people who, who run the country. I think the thing is, Scotland is a nation. I've been involved in so many debates in this that have went wrong. <laughs> That I'm quite um, okay. Gorgeous. I tend, to, I tend to avoid politics on YouTube now altogether because it's went so badly in the past. Seriously? Yeah. I mean, it's just so divisive now, right? Yeah, it is. Um, horribly so. Yeah. Horribly so. I mean, it's in terms of Scotland. If we're going to talk about um, Scotland as an independent country, right? I lived in London for five years. I have so many connections with Britain. Um, my family voted fifty percent one way, fifty percent the other. They're very split mm. as well. Like everybody's family probably was. Mm-hmm. Um, I identify with some of the good things Britain's done uh, and some of the good things we do together as um, as Great Britain. I value a lot of the things we do together in trade and, and the shared links we have. At the same time, I also see that um, Scotland's very, very different from the rest of the United Kingdom. Mm. Uh, certainly from London, where when I lived there, I could see how different my upbringing was from people who lived in London. Mm. Um, and that politics centralised in London doesn't necessarily make sense for... Um, Scotland sometimes it's true so it's like almost that I'm very proud of being Scottish and I can certainly see Scotland um, being able to stand up on its own two two feet as an independent country but I also at the same time uh, like I'm very split you know I'm very I would say I'm very um, open-minded 
Okay. Um, but it's an interesting debate and it always comes <laughs> up. Anybody who talks about Scotland, Scottish culture on YouTube or whatever always gets this question. So Yeah. Um, yeah. Very diplomatic response. I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. So this is probably an easier question for you to answer. I mean, what things do you think we could do better? Scotland, I think... I'm going to talk about social media because that is what I'm involved yeah. in. That's what I spend all my time in. I think... I think Scotland has a lot of improvements to do in terms of the way companies and people in general perceive social media and what it could do for them. Mm. I think we're very behind the times. Um, even government agencies who are in charge of running our tourism, I think, are quite um, behind and slow. Mm. And I think Scotland as a nation has been caught out, caught off guard over the last year in particular in terms of the, the tourism that's hit us based on television shows that have come here and filmed here, big blockbusters that have been so successful around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, Outlander is one of the, 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 the shows that I'm talking about, which has been amazing for Scotland. And literally, people in Scotland had hardly even knew what it was until it already finished the second season. I don't think I would have known about it had it not been for your content. I mean, that, that, that's just so many people say that. Seriously. People from around the world are going have been going crazy for it for years and have been over the last year just piling in. Like Edinburgh Airport's doing great. Edinburgh is a city you can't it's difficult to find a room here now. Yeah, it's fully yeah. booked. I think we've been totally caught off guard by the amount of people who've taken interest in not just Outlander, but it has helped, definitely. Yeah. Um, a lot of different reasons all kind of combined at once. And now we're scrambling to kind of catch up. And I am disappointed by the amount of messages I get by um, people who, who watch my videos and say they've came to Scotland two or three times and they'll, com- they'll continue to do so. They love Scottish people. They love, um, they love the landscape, but mm-hmm. they have felt that Scotland wasn't prepared for them. And they've um, <laughs> they felt that they've um, struggled because of infrastructure um, and also had resistance in some local communities. Mm-hmm. When tourism, ultimately, we're, Scotland's a really small country, right? I think... Yeah. Tourism could be so important for us. It is so important for yeah, us. And we need to we need to harbour it. We need to make sure it flourishes. Yeah. Um, and partly the, the digital side of that is really important, the social media side. Of course, yeah. Um, and I think we need to open a conversation about how we make that happen, um, both in terms of attracting new people and making sure the people that do come here have a, a really smooth and comfortable trip. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've heard stories of people going up the highlands and stuff and literally spending hours on the road on buses and not being able to go to the toilet anywhere because there's no facilities. Like, mm. And then at the same time, we've got people complaining, Scottish people who live in small communities, saying that tourism is ruining their roads, ruining their communities. Mm-hmm. So almost like, I almost feel like there needs to be someone in the middle of that taking responsibility for making things run smoother. Mm. Um, and I've also seen, I've seen really ridiculous articles in press here, Scottish press, who have criticised tourists who have come, for example, to watch Outlander filming locations mm-hmm. um, for for what? I don't really know why they're criticising. They've said things like they've damaged property, which is almost totally untrue. Um, and unfortunately, the it's just a problem where there has been a lack of um, infrastructure in a lot of places mm-hmm. that just haven't been able to cope with the numbers that have come in. And there are also some places that literally do not want people to come as well. So I don't know. I think we've got a lot of work to do. And I think a lot of 
um, conversations need to be had in Scotland yeah. about how we, we, we seize the moment because this won't last forever. No. Um, so how do we build Brand Scotland as this tourist destination that yeah. people want to keep coming back to for years and years to come? Yeah. That's really interesting because I haven't heard that, that sort of perspective on things. But that's really interesting. I mean, I, th- I think for me is you only realise that once you um, speak to the customer. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And the people who watch my videos who come to Scotland, who might be coming to Scotland, they're the, they're the tourists and they're, they're the people who they need to be supported when they're here. Yeah. And to have messages from those types of people who have had bad experiences here, mm-hmm. not, not because they've been treated badly by people, but because they've been let down by things including infrastructure and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just disappointing. It is. It is. Hmm. Maybe a potential job role for you in yeah, there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A brand ambassador for Scotland. Absolutely. 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 How would you say you have evolved as a person throughout your life? Um, that is a, a really difficult question to answer. How have I evolved? Um, I'm... I struggled a lot in my teenage years for anxiety in particular. It was really, really tough. I had a lot of years when um, I couldn't leave the house and I lost all confidence. And I think nowadays, especially through vlogging, mm-hmm. that has all come back. Mm. Uh, I kind of feel like I've got my mojo back. And I have become a person that just wants to do more and get out there. I mean, I've always had a bit of that, but I have been held back throughout certain periods of my life because of anxiety and um, now I can I just feel I don't know whether it's through the community that's helped mm-hmm. me along the way or or the fact that I I serve them at the end of the day that mm-hmm. I actually want to get out there and do more I just feel content now mm. I think there's a certain maturity that's come about as well mm-hmm. I think I made a lot of silly mistakes when I was younger and act I did a lot of things based on um, impulses and silly things like that but I guess that's just part of getting older right yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah what would you say has been your biggest perceived failure and what did you learn from it? Hmm. That is... Failure. A failure, like, I... This is a difficult one for me because I try not to dwell too much on failures. Okay. Hmm. <coughs> like, I have, of course, had moments in my life when I have failed. I haven't seen projects through. Um, I haven't seen jobs long enough through, like in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I've went on to bigger and better things, and other times I haven't. But I try not to dwell on it. Like I think, mm-hmm. I think the reason I find this a difficult question to answer is that I don't let those memories sit in my head. I like to learn lessons from things I've done badly, but I like to move on really quick. And like I just don't, I don't um, have any really big massive failures. I don't really regret much. I don't regret not going to uni. I don't regret um, starting in a career in um, accountancy that was never right for me. I don't regret it. I don't regret leaving that. I don't regret going into journalism. I don't regret um, going into asset management. And then I don't regret yet uh, leaving asset management in my job in London. Um, So yeah, I I try not to dwell on things and just move forward. But Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it is important to learn from mistakes, but at the same time, realize that things... um, often happen, even if they, they seem bad at the time, but they, they, they turn out well in the end, yeah. if you can use that energy in a positive way going forward. Absolutely. That's such a great mindset to have. 
Especially when you're vlogging, right? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> There's like lots of times when I've done something that's like an embarrassment. 50 views. What? Exactly. Yeah. Like the thing is you could really easily crumble yeah. just because of one mistake or one <clears throat> bad comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the, this is the problem with YouTube and a lot of people don't realize until they start is you're going to get people who don't like you and don't like what you do. Mm. And if you dwell on that, you're never going to be able to progress because you're going to be thinking about these people who say bad things about you. Yeah. And it's tough. Mm. It can be really mentally tough, but you have to have thick skin. You have to move forward, and I have been able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely a really important thing, like just to ignore a lot of the the stuff that doesn't actually really mean anything in your life. Like the yeah. negativity is, it's going to be there. It's just about moving past it. Hmm. You actually touched upon this earlier, but just to uh, avoid any doubt, what do you feel is your your purpose in life? A purpose, I think um, I want to help and inspire others. Definitely, that is something I've learned over the last few years since I've been taking this YouTube thing seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and still, since I've started to build a community, like when I get messages from people, and I get a lot of, lot of messages like, every single day, and when I get a message from someone who said, I've made their day, or I've made them feel better, or I've made them think about something differently, and they're going to they're change their life a little bit, mm-hmm. or people who have actually... I get messages from people who have said like I have changed things for them or made them feel better or made them do something in their life that they would never have done before and now they feel great like that just fills my heart with joy literally and it makes everything seem worth it for me so if I I want to continue to um, inspire people to 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 do things they want to do in their life and feel happy mm-hmm. I think happiness is what the end goal for this is uh, whether it's my own self or other people mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's just about finding what that happiness is, whether it's financial security or whether it's exploring the world or meeting people or just breaking out of anxiety yeah. and being able to do normal things because that is a big one for a lot of people. I think mm. we're going through a crisis of anxiety around the world around the world right now. Mm-hmm. And it's tough. I've been there like since I was a teenager. There's been times in my life when I couldn't leave the home. There's been times in my life when I've ended up in A&E like dozens of times because of anxiety. Jeez. And like, I know I'm not going to go back to that. But there's a lot of people who are in that in those circumstances at the moment, and mm-hmm. if I can help them, if I can help one or two people, that's like literally that's what the biggest mm. driver for me is. Mm. How would you like to be remembered? What would you like your legacy to be? I don't know. Like I'm not really. That is a deep thought question. I think um, mm. I just want to, as I said to you in the previous question, I think I just want to keep um, trying to help people change lives change their own lives if i can help people to be inspired to do different things and try new things and go new places for me at the moment that is what it's about and building that community um and if i can show off scotland at the same time (laughs) and get people to be passionate about my country and come here and spend money here and and visit the country as well that's amazing if i can get people more interested in their own their own history and culture because that's another problem scottish people don't necessarily understand their own um, culture and history Mm -hmm. Um, so there's that side as well Um, long term legacy I guess it's a work in progress and it's going to be something I'll work out over the next 10 years Uh, maybe that's something we'll we'll need to update in future (laughs) yeah Uh, Yeah, I was thinking that (laughs) maybe just right right now I'm just going to I'm loving what I'm doing and want to keep building it yeah great stuff I suspect I have an idea as to what you might say here Um, how do you define success Success, like I think success is a, 
a difficult thing to put your finger on because it's so different for each person. Mm-hmm. Um, like when when I started on YouTube, for example, this is this is a great way to look at it. If you're looking at YouTube and want to start YouTube, when I started with zero subscribers, like a hundred was the goal. Like when you get a hundred, <laughs> it's like wow. Yeah. And then it's like a thousand is huge. And I always think the first thousand is like one of the hardest levels if we're talking about YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then. Once you get that thousand, then your goal changes. Like, that was a success. Yeah. And then you think, right, I've done that now. You have to build on to the next thing. Next thing, 10,000, 20, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, for me now, like, the next one I'm looking at is probably, like, I would love one day to get to um, the silver play button. Like, it's yeah. a long, long way off. But that is, like, for me, that's my next level of YouTube success. But That's 100,000, yeah? Yeah, 100,000 yeah, subscribers. Yeah. Like, it's just a, it's a silly thing. And it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Um, but it, it, it's good as well to have goals if you're going to do this professionally because it keeps you keeps you kind of motivated and in line. Yeah, absolutely. But I think success is just it depends on the person. It depends on the person's time of life. Like for me, when I was yeah. 16, the success was just getting a job. Hmm. And once I got that job, it was like, okay, can I move up the ladder to the next job? Can I get more money? And then when you get there, it's like it doesn't really mean anything anymore. It's like I almost felt like when I when I quit that. I felt like that was so silly. Like all that work to find what I thought was success at the time was climbing the corporate ladder to something mm-hmm. that ultimately did not make me happy. It seemed like that was the pillar of success at the time, but when you get there, you realize it's not, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's a difficult thing to put your finger on. I think success is happiness at the end of the day. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, most people do. Most yeah. people do because they realize that that is the thing that actually is. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the fulfillment. Absolutely, and I, I think it's it, it can change your life. Like it yeah. can change the way you you see things. It can change the way you have relationships with people and um and your health as well. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think you're most grateful for in life? I think uh, I'm grateful for the the friends and family I've got around me. Like mm. a lot of the decisions I've made. Um, they could have been judged very harshly under different circumstances by different people. Hmm. Um, and I would not have had the support to do what I've done if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for the support of my wife, for example, or mm-hmm. my mum and dad. Hmm. They, have been, they have been very supportive. I mean, they might not often agree with the things I'm doing are the right choices hmm. or the right path, but they've never criticised it. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm very grateful for that um, support around me. And I think it's very important because people do make decisions based on what their their inner circle f- thinks of them right absolutely and how yeah. they judge them big time and I, and I think that that is that is a problem for a lot of people like they might not be able to do they might not be able to follow dreams because of that and I'm very grateful that that has never been a massive barrier for me mm-hmm. um, so I think that's something I, I want to study more as well like how do people um, react and, and continue to do things that makes them unhappy because They've got mm-hmm. like that pressure on them. So definitely the grateful thing for me is having that support group. And then of course the community, because I've had so much support from the YouTube community, mm-hmm. the community that follows me on all the platforms, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like they've helped me with so much. And it's not just it's not just about um, watching my videos. Like <laughs> they've given me personal advice. Like people that I've never met before. Uh, I travel around the world and I go to a city and then I'll say I'm here and then lots of people come and meet me and go for a beer and buy me a drink <laughs> and like it just makes me feel really warm that, to know that that community is there. Yeah. So I'm very grateful for that community. And I, I think that's the most important thing when people are like building a, a, any kind of 
presence online is the mm-hmm. community first. Hmm. So I'm very grateful for that. Hmm. Good answer. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I think that... Oh, I mean, it's difficult to break that down into like a quote or anything like that because hmm. I've received a lot of good advice over the years. The way I believe um, knowledge has helped my life is I try and learn from even little things from everybody I meet. Like, mm-hmm. And I've always done that since I was young. I try and um, have mentors. They might not know that they're my mentor, hmm. but they're my mentors anyway. Um, and I learn a lot from different people that I meet and whether I stick around them, or whether I become friends with them or whether... Um, we just have a business relationship or whatever, but I'm constantly trying to learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've received throughout that a lot of advice over the years, but I think it's the, the, the mass of that, of all the people that you get your knowledge from together, mm. um, when you can kind of bring a lot of different people's advice and bring it together into one centralized thing. Um, it's difficult to kind of define what that is because mm-hmm. it's, it's different for everybody based on your, the people you meet and the people you get knowledge from. But I've always believed in this for me that I will do better in life. I will be more successful, more... I will be more happy if I can take... If I can make the knowledge pool vast and get lots of people... Ad- and, and get lots of people's input and advice yeah. rather than just believe in one person because one person's <laughs> ways is never right. My way is never going to be right for another person yeah. necessarily. But I think if you can just like bring in together lots of advice into one place um, and just basically... Do, I think it's just about um, seeking out the right people and getting the right advice from a lot of different people, a lot of different sources. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I've always always believed in. But definitely, I think it's about seeking happiness yeah. and not um, material things. Hmm. I really liked what you said, actually, just the, the first point that you hit on, the fact that when you surround yourself entirely with people that think like you, it really limits your your sort of worldview, if you like. So by having a very broad spectrum of people that influence you, it makes you a far more well-rounded person. Absolutely. I think that's really so important. important. Yeah. Like, even in terms of, like, we could take this to a really topical level, things that's been happening in the last year with politics, for example. And, <laughs> so much so. And yeah. <laughs> I think the problem, the big problem is that once people realise you're on the other side, that's it. That's like, shut off. Yeah. Two sides don't communicate. Yeah. But um, last year I went on a trip with the US Embassy to... The US Embassy in London took a bunch of um, bloggers out to America, right? And a couple of the big themes were gun rights, which is a really difficult topic to tackle, especially for yeah. people from the UK, hmm. and politics. And we actually sat in front of um, Donald Trump uh, as he'd give the, the, the Remembrance Day speech at Arlington National Cemetery. Unbelievable. We were like 20 feet in front of him. And everybody who was there were like massive Trump fans, big supporters. And I guess natural instinct for a lot of people in our group would be like, we don't want to associate with them. We don't want to communicate because we're not going to agree it's going to end up in in an argument. Mm -hmm. But actually we all decided in that spur of the moment, like let's just take this one opportunity. We're here among people we might not necessarily agree with, but Mm -hmm. let's just take this opportunity to, to have some dialogue. And that was one of the most valuable um, couple of hours we ever had in that hmm. trip was speaking to people who we definitely probably wouldn't have agreed with, but we actually had a lot in common mm-hmm. and a lot of common ground. And I think that's really important. It, absolutely. So important. So important. So important to challenge your own beliefs. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people just feel comfortable in their beliefs. And absolutely, yeah. 
um, not willing to kind of step outside that box. But once you do, yeah. you can you learn more. Big time, big time. If you had the opportunity to speak to your twenty-year-old self, what would you say? Um, if I if I spoke to my twenty-year-old self, I would say have more belief in the decisions that you're doing is the right thing and it's mm -hmm. going to work out. Because I think a lot of the anxiety that I had in my earlier years um, and the crisis of anxiety that I had, um, because anxiety is something that's going to stay with you forever if you're that type of person. Like, I always have it, but I've got it under control and I've had it under control for a lo long time now. But then I didn't. And the problem was I was always unsure of what I'm doing was the right thing. Yeah. I was always worried, like, what happens if I leave this job and the next one turns out to be rubbish and I get fired or whatever? What am I going to do? Like, mm. and that would just get me racked with anxiety and, and made me really ill. Um, and I think it was just about self-belief, really, and, mm -hmm. and knowing that things actually will work out because at that age, you worry about silly things, I guess more yeah. materialistically. Yeah. Whereas now, if I look back and, and was to speak to myself, I'd say, what is important? That you and your the closest relatives are happy and healthy. Like, if you lose your job, yeah. who cares? <laughs> Um, that's definitely what I would tell my younger self. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a quote, um, I, th I think it's something along the lines of, depression uh, comes from worrying about the past, anxiety comes from worrying about the future, which I think, uh, you know, intellectually, I think that's probably accurate, but I think in, in reality, that's, it's easier to kind of grasp it than it is to practice it. Yeah, but you I know, think that's... Being in the present. Absolutely, I think, but that makes a lot of sense because... A lot of anxiety does um, play out about your fears. Yeah, yeah. What are your fears? What is around the corner? The unknown. Mm -hmm. And I have definitely started to live a lifestyle where I um, embrace the future now. Hmm. Embrace what's coming mm -hmm. based on the decisions I've made. Yeah. Whereas before I would worry about them. So mm. it definitely rings true. Hmm. Last question's a big one, Sean. Okay. If you could change anything in the world, what would it be and why? If I could change anything in the world, I think um, inequality is such a big problem in the world. Hmm. I mean, this does sound cliche, but I've seen it so much um, in different levels. Whether that's been, I've told you before that I spend a lot of time in Brazil and inequality mm -hmm. there is a huge issue mm. um, with poverty. It's a different level to what we have here, but at the same time, I grew up in um, a poorer part of Edinburgh and I saw mm -hmm. the inequality there as well. Like, a lot of people suffered and it might not be the same as in a, in a developing country but mm. um, inequality is is important here it's important um, in London it's important in Europe it's important in developing countries as well and I think it, um, inequality is something we should all try and come together and work out how to to alleviate yeah good answer good note to finish on yeah <laughs> Sean it's been brilliant speaking to you um, you have an incredibly fascinating story uh, I think that the path that you're on is absolutely inspirational and uh, you know I hope you see it through and I look forward to seeing your, your silver play button when you get it oh, thank you very much it's been a really fun to come here and then visit your amazing space and oh, thank you so much hopefully once we uh, we can do some podcasts together in the future and, 100% I'd love to and do some videos around town because like definitely got such a beautiful city here in Edinburgh yeah Let's get out there and do some stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Sean, thank you so much for your time. Thanks again. Cheers. You've been listening to Inspired Edinburgh. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe for more powerful conversations. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. 
and we'll see you at the next episode.